I was like, God, why, why, why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to watch literally hundreds of women a year give birth and go through pregnancy? And I don't get to have that. Like, how, how are you still good to me? Welcome to the I Am Mother of the Year podcast, where we equip and encourage moms just like you to move from isolation, fear, comparison, and chaos to community, compassion, peace, and freedom. We're so glad you're here. Hey, I'm Lisa. And I'm Jen, and this is the I Am Mother of the Year podcast. And October is Infant and Pregnancy Loss Awareness Month, and we are going to honor that in the best way that we know how, which is by sharing stories. Mm -hmm. And so we are, this is part three of a four-part series that we are calling Yet We Thrive. And Yet We Thrive is one of our partner ministries, and it's a community that helps support moms who have lost or are struggling to have babies. And um, their goal is really to live full, thriving lives in the midst of impossible circumstances. And so the story you're about to hear is full of more heartbreak than anyone should ever have to go through, but yet she is full of hope. So welcome, Shara. Hi. Shara, thank you for being here. Yes, of course. Can you tell everyone, us, who is Shara? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, so I, first of all, am um, a wife. I've been married to my husband for 11 years now. We met uh, working together at McDonald's in high school. Yes, girl. So, I know, your classic love story. Uh Um, He said, you want some fries? (laughs) Exactly. started working together when I was um, 16 and he was 18 and um, we knew each other for about a year before we started dating but he tells everybody that he knew even before he asked me on our first date that he was going to marry me. Oh Took him a lot of time to convince me of that oh but here God. we are. <laughs> um, and yeah we got married in 2009 and I was in nursing school at the time um, And so I finished nursing school in 2011, started working as a labor and delivery nurse, but knew from the time I was a little girl um, that I wanted to be a midwife. Mm -hmm. So I have nine siblings. Um, I am third out of the 10 kids. And so I was around during a lot of my mom's pregnancies and I just loved the idea of being able to be there when she gave birth. And so as soon as I knew what it was, I would be like, mom, I wanna be there. Can I come when you have a baby? And she was like, no, this is something really private. She and my dad did unassisted home birth. So it was just the two of them, like they did all of it themselves. And so to add somebody into that process for them just was not something they wanted. Go babysit um, your siblings. (laughs) Thankfully, my mom had super fast labors and usually delivered in the middle of the night. So they usually would just get things done, have the baby come and wake us up and we'd go and meet the baby. That's kind of how it worked. Like go to bed, wake up with the baby. Exactly. There's mom with a new baby. Wow. Um, But with, with my youngest sister, so I I was 12 and I was, it was pretty close to, um, when I was getting ready to turn 13, um, like a month before. And my mom was 44, so she was a little more high risk. She'd had um, gestational diabetes and was on insulin. And so um, they had kind of had a backup plan that, you know, if this labor isn't going really smoothly, we're going to go to the hospital. Um, Well, that morning my mom's water broke, and then 12 hours later she still wasn't in labor. Mm -hmm. And so they decided to go to the hospital, and they were like, hey, since we're going to the hospital, do you want to come with us? (gasps) 
do I want to come with you? This is going to be yes. my career. Yes. <laughs> I'm already there. So, yes. so I got to be there and it was just, it was such an amazing thing to see. I was hooked from the second that baby came out. I was like, this is amazing. Can I please be part of this for the rest of my life? 12 years so, old. Yeah. So I feel really blessed because I feel like there's so many people that have no idea what they want to do, even when they're like in their thirties. And I just have known since then, like, this is what God made me to do. This yeah. is my calling because just the way that, that midwives see birth and, and labor and pregnancy and all of that is just a normal part of a woman's life. You know, it's not this big, scary, high risk thing. It's your, your body was created to do this. The process works right. Most of the time, obviously not all the time. And I see that, but that's when I have my colleagues that can step in and take over. Um, so I started out as, you know, doing, doing nursing, um, worked as a labor and delivery nurse through grad school. And then, um, probably about halfway through grad school, Zach and I were like, okay, I think it's time. So I'd had an IUD in because I didn't want to get pregnant in nursing school. It was like the last thing I wanted. And so when the five years came up to get that out, I was like, okay, let's do this. Let's have a baby. So we got it out. And I remember specifically that day. And I always cry when I think about it because there was so much, anticipation that day. Um, so Zach came with me to my appointment, but he sat out in the car cause you know, he was like, I'm not going in there. Um, and I came back out to the car and I was like, okay, it's out. And we went to lunch and we sat across the table and we looked at each other and we said, this time next year, we could have a baby. And, um, yeah, so that, you know, that was such an exciting time. I, w I was like, my mom got pregnant on her honeymoon. I'm going to have a baby. Like I'm going to be pregnant as soon as you know, this thing wears off. Um, I know that's why I know that's why and I was just like I'm just gonna this is what I'm gonna be yeah. and so um you know the first it took six weeks to get my period back and I was like okay this is fine like I didn't have a period for four years with the IUD yeah. I was like this this is just what my body's doing and it's amazing um, that sounds awesome <laughs> it was great I, I can't say that I missed that part of it oh yeah. um, save so, so much money on tampons are you yeah, kidding me so, um, but yeah, I, it, you know, that six weeks went by, I started my period and we just started right away, like timing everything, let's do this. And I had really regular periods. So we thought, okay, this is fine. It's going to happen. Um, I was in the middle of grad school. I was working full-time night shift. I was going to school full-time. I was really, really under a lot of stress. And so we just were like, okay, this is probably what's going on. I'm stressed out. My body's not prepared for a pregnancy. So we'll just you know, wait until I get done with school. Um, so I graduated in, um, 2014. And, um, at that point we had been trying almost two years and I just remember, um, specifically, so our fifth wedding anniversary, we went to the Dominican Republic and it timed out just perfectly when I would have been ovulating. And it was like going to be, you know, this whole, you build up these romantic stories that you got pregnant on the beach. Not really. We didn't do that on the beach, but <laughs> But you know, you get pregnant in this romantic atmosphere or whatever. And I just remember coming home from that and just being crushed when I started my period. And at that time, there was a lot of signs of endometriosis that I didn't think about. I just kept passing it off. Like, oh, my periods are just, they just kind of suck. They're, they're painful, but everybody's periods are painful. You know, you, even in school, you learn that like periods are painful. Um, but I didn't realize that my periods were so much more painful. Cause I just was like, I'm just toughing it out. It's fine. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You do. I was like, it's very normal to feel like you're being twisted from the inside out. It's, it's fine. Um, and so I remember even <laughs> one day, yeah, <laughs> no, no, so if you're no. Now call your doctor. <laughs> yeah. If there is someone 
have a device grip in your uterus, you should go to your doctor. Um, but it's another thing. It's very, it's very hard. And, and even then, like, you know, we've come a long way in, in obstetrics, even just in the last few years of, of identifying it. But, you know, I talked to my doctor about it and she was like, yeah, it's fine. Like, you know, just keep going through it. Take ibuprofen. You'll be fine. Um, well then I remember one, one Sunday sitting across the table from Zach, we had gone out to, to eat lunch after church. And I started my period like the, the day before and always like those first couple of days was really hard. And I remember just sitting and crying because I was cramping so hard and I wanted to enjoy the time with my husband and I wanted to be present with him. And, but that was getting where we were right around the year mark. And that's where infertility is diagnosed. Like if you've been trying for a year, that's infertility. And so up until then I could just be like, oh, it's just, it's just stress. Mm -hmm. But then that year hit, I remember sitting across from the table and just crying and him being like, what, why, why are you crying? Like we're, we're at, you know, mm -hmm. we're at, at lunch enjoying a steak. I think we were, you know, having steak that day. <laughs> I know. Like, yeah. Yes. What's going on here? Are you hormonal? And I was just like, I just don't understand. Like, yeah everybody around me is getting pregnant and I'm working as a labor and delivery nurse at that time, helping babies come into the world every single time I'm at work. Um, and so, you know, it just started at that point, just kind of the reality hitting me. Um, well then when I graduated from, um, midwifery school, after I finished with that, we decided we were going to go on a grand adventure. Um, and so we went travel nursing for, um, nine months. Yeah. Um, we spent a couple months in Texas and we spent a few months in Seattle and just, I, we just lived it up. We didn't have kids. We were free to go. We would just take off for the weekend. Um, when I had a few days off work and we would go explore where we were cause it was a new place, lots of fun things to do. And so we just, we just had fun. Um, but in the midst of all of that fun was every single month, this just gut wrenching, like it didn't happen again. Yeah. And literally, because mentally, emotionally, yeah. but then physically, yeah. pain. Yeah, I mean, they were my periods were getting more and more painful throughout that time, and I just kept passing it off as like, this is normal. But, you know, I think because I had the IUD and I didn't have periods for four years, I think the endometriosis didn't get as bad as it could have because endometriosis builds up because when, when you have... Um, your period, instead of all of it flushing out, some of it flips through your tubes and goes and implants in your body and causes inflammation and scarring and pain. No. And, and so I, because I wasn't having periods, I it wasn't, and I got it in when I was 19, like we were getting ready to get married. I was so young. Like yeah. I'd hardly even, my periods weren't even regular yet. Yeah. And so, um, I think that that, because of that, it delayed the symptoms of it. And I think that's why it took so long yeah. to be diagnosed. Yeah. Um, can I pause you in yeah. your story and ask, so at this point, do you, you have the infertility mm -hmm. label? Yeah. Yeah. So did that change? Like, how did that change your perspective? Because it must have. Yeah. So how does it change? Now you're labeled. Mm -hmm. You have stamp on your forehead in your medical chart. Yeah. I'm going through infertility. Do you ever say, I am infertile? I do sometimes. I try not to because I don't want that to be my identity mm -hmm, right. because I'm so much more than yes. somebody who can't get pregnant, right. you know? Um, but it was, it was really hard, especially being from such a big family. And I mean, I'm one of the older of my siblings, so they haven't hadn't at that point, nobody else was having children, but you know, thinking about, well, I'm going to be the one that has the first grandbaby and all of this. And then that mm -hmm. excitement just like fades to like, is this ever going to happen mm -hmm. for me? Right. Um, when you grew up like, 
you just wake up and there's a new baby right. in your house. Exactly. Like, yeah. that's you're totally your normal. Good you're morning. thinking, we're up to seven today. Yeah. <laughs> We went to bed yeah. at six, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah so that's, honestly, that's yeah, kind of how it went. Yeah, how's your cereal? So, yeah, like, your baby, baby just pops up every moment. So um, yeah, yeah, so that's was, your normal. It was at that point, like I started really feeling like something is wrong with me, mm -hmm. um, and so for all of this time, so we didn't end up getting any testing done for the first three years. Because first of all, I wanted to keep my head in the sand. I didn't want, I didn't want that label. Right. Um, I didn't want um, to believe that it wasn't just gonna magically happen. Um, and I, I felt like if, if I have a diagnosis, then that's another label right. that I have to put on myself. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we always just would like, you know, I. <laughs> My grandpa is a master herbalist, another fun fact about me. And so he would be like, well, you can try taking these things. These might help. And nothing that I took did anything. And we, we assumed that because my periods were regular that it was probably okay. Like, you know, there's, you know, cause uh, you know, people think PCOS, you have irregular periods. I wasn't even thinking endometriosis at that point. Cause I was like, you know, these periods are painful, but whatever. Um, and so I just kept thinking, well, you know, maybe there's something else. And yeah. so, um, can you tell me what PCOS stands for? Oh yeah. For? Polycystic ovarian syndrome. So yeah, Where basically. So is that the yeah. umbrella label? And then you get cysts. That's, that's just one thing you get cysts. Is that yeah, so, so that's endometriosis? Yes. They're two separate. Got I got, I got lucky. I get to have both of them. Oh. Um, so yeah, the so I know. Um, but yeah, so they, they do for some people, um, happen at the same time, but they are two separate diseases. They're both chronic progressive, progressive diseases. So the older I get, the less fertile I'm going to get. That's just mm -hmm. how it is. Um, Lovely. so yeah, I know it's great. great to think about. Mm -hmm. Um, but we started testing when I got back here. So I got my job as a midwife, um, and I started working. And when we got our insurance, I was like, let's go get tested. So I went to my doctor, we did a bunch of blood work. Everything looked fine. I was like, okay. Great. She was like, well, you've been trying for three years now. Let's also test your husband. So, you know, we were like, okay, sure, fine. Semen analysis are one of the most awkward things. We'll just put it that way. Oh. Having to collect is it, that. Is it really like go to this room and there's some magazines? Mm -hmm. Like that's my so, experience with it because that happens on TV. Yeah. Yes. So, and it can be that way, but because we want to honor the Lord in the way that we do that, there is no pornography involved. Yeah. So, um, I help. Nice. Oh, okay. But, hey. Tell me more about that. So, <laughs> but it's well, not it involves like, less clothing than normal. <laughs> yes. But, but it's not like you're having this like you cannot, fun, like, joyful. No, exactly. Like, yeah. Let's so, let's get for us. Let's get moment. awkward. It's a dry hand job. You yeah. can't use lubricant. You can't use saliva. Oh. There can be nothing on it except wow. just the the sperm. The golden anatomy. Yes. It's great. Is. Let me tell you. So we we started with that and. Um, so my doctor, it's, it's so weird working in an office where your doctor is literally like across the hall. Oh, like I remember she printed out his results, walked into the office and set them down on my desk and said, okay, I think we've figured it out. And You're I was like, like, can you mail this to me? Because yeah. I'm your patient. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in my chart. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I'm in the middle of seeing patients. I have patients before and after this. So I get out and we, we talk and she says, okay, so this is what we've got. His sperm count is really low. The motility is really bad. So basically there's not enough sperm and they're not moving anywhere. So no wonder you haven't gotten pregnant. Right. Was there any relief? So, like, oh, it might not be me. 
I felt horrible, but yes, yes. I was like, it's his fault. Right. Like, now I like I'm not, this off. means that I'm not broken as a woman. Yes. Like my husband just does, is shooting blanks, you know? Yes. <laughs> and so, but then my second thought was like, oh my gosh, like that is something as a man too. Like yeah. that's part of his identity. That's, yeah. I'm going to have to take away when I give him this phone call. Right. And so. I just, so she left and I just shut the door and I just cried yeah. for a little while. Cause I was like, okay, so we've got an answer. I don't like it. This is going to hurt, yeah. but there's something, yeah. there's at least some possibility of hope. And so, um, I called him and I told him and I just remember how crushed he sounded and I just felt so awful because, you know, until then I'd been carrying that burden. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, we talked about it together, but there's just something about, that understanding that comes when it's not just your fault. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they were like, okay, but this is a good thing. This means that we can do something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I, because of my upbringing, I've always been one that wants to take the natural way of things. Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to take it as much as I can with, you know, without using medical intervention. Mm -hmm. But at that point it was like, we got to do something. Yeah. The so, herbs aren't working, Grandpa. Right. Thank you, but <laughs> And you know, for some people they do. Some people they do, but when you're yeah. facing what we're facing, it doesn't. Yeah. And so we we had him see a urologist, found out pretty quickly after that that he has something called varicoceles. So if you've heard of like hemorrhoids or varicose veins, it's the same concept. It's just in his scrotum. Mm. So it's a, it brings a lot of heat, which is not good for sperm. They're little like wimpy babies and they don't they don't do well with That's temperature changes. Exactly. That's why they are hanging out outside of the body because um, they need to be cooler and so um they're tentacles to my six-year-old son <laughs> tentacles. Not yes. tentacles. all right so tentacles. His tentacles his tentacles were too hot <laughs> <laughs> um, if you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> really yeah. yes so that august he had surgery and we were like okay. they closed 15 blood vessels that were dilated that's a lot of blood vessels Whoa. so we were like this is great and over the next three months his sperm counts doubled the the motility got better but then we still weren't getting pregnant. So of course me being stubborn, I waited for a whole nother, like almost a, another year. Um, and so we found out about his issue in March. Well, the next March I was finally like, well, I tried to in December. That's a very long story, but I tried to get an appointment in December, but it ended up being in March with um, a doctor, an infertility specialist. Um, and I still remember him walking in the room and being like, do you want to just do IVF? And I was like, no, no, that is not even on my radar right now. Like that, I don't, I don't want to do that. And I told him that, um, you're thinking there's so many options. I know. I'm like, there's then. so so many things we can do. And so he was like, well, let's try first just doing some medicated cycles with, um, intrauterine inseminations. So I remember the first one going up to it. Um, I took, um, Clomid and we did ultrasounds and I had these beautiful follicles. We were like, these are going to be babies. Mm. You know, I can see them right there on the ultrasound. I still have pictures of them. Um, and then we went in and, um, did the first IUI. I had to do a trigger shot like a couple days before, whatever. Um, and they were like, you know, things look okay. This, the motility is not great, but we're putting the sperm right there. Cause so with an IUI, they put a tube all the way up to the top of your uterus. It's a turkey baster, right? yeah, yeah. Except with a turkey baser, you just put it in the vagina. It goes all the way through oh, your cervix to the top of your uterus. So it's all the way in there. It's not fun. It doesn't feel nice. Um, but anyway, they, they did that. They're like, we're putting it right there. So they don't have to go very far. So we're like, this is going to work. Yeah. So first month I 
<laughs> I delivered a baby and I walked out of the room, went to the bathroom and started bleeding. And oh, you delivered. I was like, I, I was at work. Sorry, yes, I was at work and I delivered a baby. And I came in um, to the bathroom and started bleeding and I just lost it. I was like, I just can't. How do I go back in this room and talk to this woman and tell her you're amazing and you did a good job and congratulations on your baby when I'm like literally bleeding $700 into the toilet and just like I was so crushed and so I finished out that call shift. I was so thankful I was off the next day because um, I had just started like just barely spotting. Um, but then the next day I just laid in bed all day and I just cried and I just I didn't do anything. I didn't talk to anybody. Um, but then, so that was a Wednesday, and then Thursday I laid in bed all day, and then Friday I had to go back. I had a full office schedule. I had to see, I think it was 18 patients that day. Oh, my gosh. Um, Could there so, be a worse job for what you're going I know. through? So, you know, like, so literally as I'm still bleeding, I'm sitting there, you know, measuring bellies, feeling, feeling babies move, checking heartbeats, reassuring moms, like doing all of these things that I just, I just had to, like, plug through and do it um, as – I'm like, every time I go to the bathroom, it's just like another stab in my heart. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember walking in and sitting down at my desk and just crying. And, you know, I told a couple of my coworkers and they just came in and they were like, you are amazing. You can do this. You're strong enough. Like, let's get through this. And they just helped me so much through that day. Um, and then, so, you know, we did two more that year. Um, I took a break for that first month because you can do three months in a row. And I was like, I can't do this. So we did March and then we did, um, well, it was the beginning of March. And then we did at the end of April and then um, in May. And um, I remember the second one, they were like, things don't look so good. His sperm don't look very good. Um, so if you want to still do it, we'll still do it. And I'm like, well, we're here. I've already taken the medicines. I've already shot drugs into my body. We might as well. Yeah. Um, you just but, never know. This but yeah, yeah. And so that was like where I was like, well, maybe this is God's redemption story. You know, it's like they told us it wasn't going to happen. They told right. us that it wasn't going to work. They told us that this is the chances, that it's so, the chances are low that this is going to even work. And I was like, maybe this is it. We're going to yeah. defy the odds. Exactly. My God that's is bigger. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. exactly how I felt for those, that two-week wait. And then again, I started my period. And again, I was crushed. Um, we did it the third time that year, and after the third one, I was like, I cannot do this for a while. I, I just need some time. Yeah. Um, so as, I mean, how does, how does your prayer life, your faith, change mm -hmm. from round one through round three? Yeah. And then just totally giving up. Like, what stories are you telling yourself, and how, what are the conversations that you're having with God like? Yeah. So I think, I mean, obviously at the first ones, it's like, I, you know, God, you are so amazing. I'm so excited for what you're going to do. This is going to be great. I can't wait to see. And I, I remember like thinking about this is how I'm going to glorify you through this. Like, I'm going to be able to say we struggled, but we made it yes. like, here's oh, yeah. this baby, you know, yeah. but God, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and by the end of it, I was just like, I was really struggling to say God is good because, you know, you think about the blessings that God promises for his people. And one of those is that there will be no infertility and there will be no miscarriage for those that love God. And so I was like, God, why, why, why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to watch literally hundreds of women a year give birth and go through pregnancy? 
and I don't get to have that. Like, how, how are you still good to me? Um, and he has showed up in so many ways of people just pouring into me. Um, I have patients that will bring me little gifts and say, we're thinking about you. We, we love you. We want this for you so bad. Um, so many really awesome friends that have just pulled up alongside me and held me up. Um, cause there's been some times that it's been really hard to stand. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, just worshiping him, even though, you know, um, I, I'm on the worship team at our church and, um, I've had several people that know my story say, it blesses us so much to see you worshiping God Mm -hmm. because we know how hard it is to praise through that. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that I'm able to to bless other people, even though I, I mean, I'm hurting. Let's not get that wrong. I'm not like some, you know, beautiful flower blooming all the time. Like, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. Yeah. like I'm not on the other side. You're not a robot. Either. Right, like right, you're, exactly. you're feeling all of these things, mm-hmm. living them. And then do you feel like it's, do you feel like it's the cruelest joke that God called you at age mm-hmm. 12, mm-hmm. like without a doubt, yeah, opened I your have, eyes? I have no questions still. Like, yeah. Yes, your imagination. Mm-hmm. Is that the cruelest joke? Yeah. Like what kind of yeah. weird, vindictive God would give you this amazing calling to bring life into this mm-hmm. world and then not give you life of your own? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many times I stand by the bedside of a woman who is either laboring to have her baby or I'm doing their first heartbeat check where they're so excited. And I just think, is it ever going to be me? <laughs> You know, how many babies do I have to deliver for somebody else before I get to pull my own baby up to my chest and hold them? And um, that's a really, it's a really, really hard place to be. Um, And I love my job. I love caring for women. Um, I absolutely 100% know that God created me to do that. And I, I know by the testimonies of my patients and how I have been able to care for them that I was 100% made to be a midwife, mm-hmm. but it, it is crushing sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like for them, it has yeah. to be you. Yeah. You know, yeah. you are such a huge part of yeah. so many birth stories, so many women like relying on you and yeah. your vulnerability and like everything you bring into the room when you walk into the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's the sweetest burden. So it's, it's so hard, but it is so, so amazing. There's just nothing like being there when a child takes the first breath of air, the side of, you know, mm-hmm. um, it is, it is truly amazing. And it does give me hope mm-hmm. because I see women who are in their forties. I've delivered babies for women who are in their forties. The first time that they've been able to get pregnant at 40 or 41. Mm-hmm. And so I think I still have time. Yeah. How old are you? Right <laughs> I'm 32. Now? I've been trying since I was 24. Okay. So, lots of time. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like chicken. My mom had babies until she was 44. Seriously. I still have 12 years left. Yes, in this girl. Yeah. So um, I do. I do get hope through my job as well. It's not all life sucking. Yeah. <laughs> there's so much of yes. it that's not. But yes. just you know, there's so, challenges. Obviously. Yeah. How many babies have you delivered? So I. Th- 
I think I delivered two on, on uh, Monday morning. Um, so No big deal. You know. I went to the grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> she I did a water birth the other day. Oh um, but yeah, so I think I'm at 374. Five or something like that. So I'm pretty I'm getting pretty close to 400 babies delivered, wow. um, and that's just the ones that have come into my hands. I have been there for probably close to a thousand births at this point. Right. So, How many people have you wa- walked the infertility journey with? Like patients of yours that you? Um, I I don't know. It's been a lot. Um, you know, I have I can think of like probably five or six just off the top of my head, and I'm sure there's been more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's, it's one of those things that, um, before I started dealing with this and I wasn't in the role of a, like a, a provider at that point, I was just a labor and delivery nurse. Um, not just, it's a very important Mm -hmm. job, but I wasn't, I wasn't the one making like health decisions for somebody. Um, but you know, through walking this journey, I have found such a level of compassion for them. And honestly, like it's hard for me not to just like cry in my office when I'm sharing, when somebody's sharing their story with me, because I know, I know on way more than just an intellectual level, what it feels like every month to have hope rise so high. I mean, I plan a pregnancy announcement every month and then every month I have to let that go. Wow. And I have to, that, so you, you know, still do. And it's been I, how many years? Eight years? Yeah. It's, it'll be so seven and a half. Okay. So February was seven years. Um, so almost eight years, I guess at this point. Um, but even this past month, like, um, you know, my, my husband's birthday's coming up and I was like, if I get pregnant, how fun would that be mm-hmm. to tell him on his birthday that he's finally going to be a dad? Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> You know, it's like every time I'm like, why do I do this to myself? Why do I let myself feel that hope? Because it's crushing when that hope gets dashed. You know, there's, there's the Bible verse that talks about hope deferred makes the heart sick. I'm like, how many times does my hope have to be deferred before the sickness takes over? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because it, it is, it's, it's very difficult, but it, that hope is just, it's persistent, dang it. Mm-hmm. It just keeps coming yeah. no matter what. And that's like, one of the things that's really hard about having PCOS is that many of the symptoms of PCOS mock the symptoms of pregnancy. So my boobs get really sore every month. I get nauseous every month. I get like fatigue when I'm getting close to my period, like so many symptoms that you're like, Oh, this is definitely pregnancy. And then every time it, cause it switches up all the time. And so every time it's a little different, I'm like, maybe this is the time, maybe this is it. And I get so excited and then the period comes and then it's just like, well, there we go. So what do women need to know? Um, what do moms need to know, Mm -hmm. I guess, for like, do you, how, how, because I can't even, I remember when you had your miscarriage, Mm -hmm. like I did not know what to do. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to say. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't know anything about that, but I can imagine like I'm pregnant. Can I tell you, Uh how do I tell you? Yes. Yeah. What do I say? What do I not say? What should I keep in mind? What should I yeah. be really sensitive yeah. to? Yes, coach us, uh, please. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I have I have a my one of my dearest friends from college has had four children in the time that I've been trying to have a baby, um, and she is still one of my dearest friends. And I we have talked about this a lot of like how 
you know, do you want me to just tell you? And I'm like, yes, I want to celebrate with you. Life is precious no matter what. And I, I will probably cry in my bedroom with my husband the night after you tell me, because that's happened many times. Yeah. But that doesn't take away the fact that I am so excited mm -hmm. that you're having a baby. Yeah. Like, okay. so, so tell me about it. Mm -hmm. Yes, I might be hurt. Don't, you know, I, I, nobody ever like gloats about being pregnant. And it's mm -hmm. totally fine to be excited. It's absolutely something to be excited about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, don't, I, I don't want my pain to ever reduce somebody else's joy. That's not my place as a woman. Whoa. Women need to lift Hold each on. other up. We need to say that again. <laughs> say it again. You say it into this camera here. <laughs> I don't ever want my pain to reduce someone else's joy because joy is so precious and life is so precious and it doesn't matter that I'm in pain. God, God blessed you with life and that should always be a celebration. Yeah, and it, it does even matter. Even if it does, that little green, angry, jealous part in the deep parts of my soul will crop up, but that is not your fault. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it does and matter that you're in pain. Yeah. And it does matter, but it shouldn't stop us from like celebrating with yeah. you, inviting you into our yes, lives. Yes, exactly. Sharing feel, our children with you. I feel left like, out when I have somebody that's yeah. like, I, I didn't want to tell you that yeah. I was pregnant. Right. And I'm like, what? Well, no, I'm doubly hurt. Right. But it's going to be hurt. But, but I, I love you. And I want you to, yes. I want you to celebrate this. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I'm like, please, please tell me. And you know, I see a lot of like pregnancy announcements on Facebook. And one of the things that always like puts a little soothing balm on my heart is the ones that have walked through it mm -hmm. before with infertility or miscarriage. And they're like, for those of you who are still waiting, for those of you who are, who are still struggling, I see you mm -hmm. and yeah. my heart is with you. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that that part for me is is what makes it easier. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, th those kinds of things, I think, are just what, you know, help me to, to not feel so left out, I guess. In a specific way and then maybe in a general way. Like, mm -hmm. specifically for you in your timeline, mm -hmm. what stage are you in? Are you, are you filled with hope right now? Mm -hmm. So you have PCOS and endometriosis, mm -hmm. right? And male factor infertility. And he's got, so. yes. He's got like triple whammy. Three things, yeah. mm -hmm. but you're still trying and you're still taking steps to yeah. make it happen. I think at this point in a little bit of a, like a repairing process of like figuring out my identity outside of infertility. Because yes. it, it, it becomes such a big part of your life. Mm -hmm. Everything I did for a while was like, is this gonna be good if I get pregnant? Literally the clothes I bought. Can I wear this while I'm pregnant? Can I wear this while I'm breastfeeding? Like everything. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think I just needed some time to, to not have that mm -hmm. full obsession. So now I'm just like, you know, I still, like I said, still get my hopes up every month mm -hmm. because you know, I'm still like, well, maybe possibly we might've yeah, gotten know. in that window somehow magically. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so we're, we're just, seeing what happens and then if we if we do have to have surgery we're probably just going to both have surgery mm -hmm. and then um i'll probably start charting again um and we'll see where it goes yeah. so there's your specific hope of these are the you know steps yeah. we're taking mm -hmm. what's the general hope to someone who might be in your shoes right now who's like i don't have a plan i'm mm -hmm. i'm out of answers where is my general hope yeah. in this impossible situation yeah um so there's a couple of things i think in general just 
there is, there is always hope in Christ. There is always hope. And whether that hope is God will bring a child into my life through someone else, mm-hmm. whether that hope is I will you know, embrace the, the technology that doctors have and I will be able to get pregnant through that, which is something that I haven't fully embraced yet. So mm-hmm. we're not going there, but um, we're, there are miracles every day. Yeah. There are people that were told you will never get pregnant. You will never have a baby. There is absolute zero chance that will come into my office and they'll be like, guess what? I am pregnant. I'm having a baby. Yeah. And so there is always, always, always hope. And there are so many stories of that hope out there that you can find them if you need them. Sometimes those, those are hard because sometimes you're like, but it still isn't me. Yeah. Yeah. But there, there is always hope in Christ. And if that hope is that God equips you to live a child-free life, that, that can be hopeful too. Yeah. I mean, Zach and I have done so many things in seven and a half years that we would have not been able to do. Yeah. The travel nursing, we have gone all over the place. We've gone out of the country. We've done so many things. We just pick up and go when we want to. And that's, that's freeing and that's awesome. Yeah. And it is, it is a gift. And even, even though that gift comes with some, some it's like wrapped in some a spikes, yeah. but yeah. it's a gift, wow. you know? And so, you know, there are women that, that go all of those directions, adoption, foster care, IVF, childlessness, Mm -hmm. whatever way there is, God can make that life full and amazing and hopeful and thriving. If we want to use that word, because that's who God is. That's, that's the heart he has for his children. And I think one of the, one of the things, like I said, that I've struggled with so much is, is God still good? And he is still good. Mm -hmm. And even, even if I never have a child that comes from my womb, I have been a mother to so many people through my job that, and you know, just other women that I know that I've been able to come alongside them and say, I'm going to sit with you in this pain and I'm going to be here with you and just give you a safe space. And if that's the mothering that I get to do in my life, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to do it because I just want to bow to her. I know. <laughs> just mic drop all the way. Oh Instead of bow, we can do that. (laughs) We can do that when we wrap up. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Mm -hmm. You're such an inspiration. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, incredible, and what a light. Just, I know you can tell a huge light. So no matter what impossible circumstances you might find yourself in today, we hope you are still able to say, "Yet we thrive." Hi, I'm Lindsay, founder of Yet We Thrive, a community for women who have lost or are struggling to have babies. It is our aim to help you thrive, even in the midst of impossible circumstances. You can find us on Facebook or on Instagram at Yet We Thrive. We look so forward to connecting with you and holding a place for you and your story, a place where we can hold you up, even in your darkest moments, and tell you, Yet We Thrive. Thanks for listening to the I Am Mother of the Year podcast with Lisa and Jen. If you love what you hear and want insider access to more conversations just like these, exclusive Mother of the Year merch, and access to the I Am Mother of the Year podcast one day early, join the growing community of patrons who support our movement at patreon.com slash I Am Mother of the Year. Talk to you next week.